You're listening to Mind Over Matter on WRBB 104.9 FM with Maris and Shamile. Welcome back. This is Shamile. Thanks for joining us on our first official episode of the new year. And this is Maris. We are back today with Mind Over Matter, a mental health podcast. Mental health matters. Let's talk about it. Today, we will be talking about sleep and the connection between it and mental health. So keep listening if you want to hear a bit about positive sleeping habits to help improve your mental health and a bit about sleep disorders like insomnia. So we have all probably heard that sleep is super important and we need 18 hours a day to be healthy, yada yada. Um, I think you mean eight, but yeah, how much sleep do we really need and is everyone getting it? Okay, yeah, 18 was definitely a bit of an exaggeration, but it's like with everything, every body is different. A lot of it's dependent on your age. So Sleep Foundation recommends 8 to 10 hours for teenagers, 7 to 9 for young adults, and for those over 65 years old, it's 7 to 8 hours. Yep, but sometimes people just straight up need more sleep than others. I personally don't believe there's a specific number. It's just kind of what your body needs. There are definitely some nights where I need, like, 10 or 12 hours of sleep and other times that I'm doing fine on just seven or eight so it really just depends on what you need. Absolutely like right now I'm working full-time so my sleep requirements have significantly changed and if I don't want to fall asleep during my morning meeting (laughs) then I have to get at least nine hours of sleep but before then I was just doing fine with seven hours. And as someone who is currently living with Shamile, <laughs> I can definitely, absolutely, 110% tell when she hasn't had enough sleep. And let me tell you, it's not pretty. I am so sorry about those days. Poor Maris. I definitely know myself. And if I want to be my best self, I have to get my sleep in. Or like Maris said, it just isn't pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just kind of have to like test it out and ask yourself how you're feeling and are acting during the day when you get, let's say, X numbers of hours of sleep. And then just adjust accordingly. So, like, just try it out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But there are some people out there, especially college students, um, who swear that they can function properly with five hours of sleep a night. There was always this kid in my marketing class who would come in and be like, hey, guys, I only slept three hours last night. Um, And I was just like, why Why would that be something to be proud of? Like, that sucks. Being tired sucks. Um, And the thing is that... Even though people think that they can function properly, it's just because sometimes when you do have sleep deprivation, the symptoms aren't so obvious um, and your body won't actually tell you what's up. Symptoms of sleep deprivation can be so subtle that it's not as dramatic as like falling asleep on your dinner as I feel like they would show in the movies. A couple of key questions to ask yourself to figure out if you may be sleep deprived are, do you need an alarm clock in order to wake up on time? Do you need to hit the snooze button just a little too much? My roommate fully had to sit me down and tell me not to snooze my alarm (laughs) for three hours in the morning, so I'm guilty of this. Um, And another one is, do you get sleepy in warm rooms? Do you get sleepy after big meals or while driving? That's a little too real. real. (laughs) It's actually gotten really dangerous at some point. Yeah. Um, Anyways. uh, Do you fall asleep within a few minutes of getting into bed? Do you feel the need to sleep in on the weekends? Yep. All good questions, and if this sounds like you, talk to your doctor and try your best to get in some extra hours of sleep. I know it's so hard, especially for our college students listening, when there are tons and tons of homework looming over you at all times, like for me right now. (laughs) Yep. Uh, It's like with everything, though. 
you have to prioritize yourself and your health. Um, I used to have a really difficult time with this in high school. Um, I don't know if anyone else can relate, but I would constantly be sacrificing my sleep to get some extra time studying, but then the next day I'd be way too tired to focus on my exam anyway. Um, so it wasn't helpful for anybody. And sleep deprivation can have a lot of side effects. There are the obvious, which include lethar lethargy, lethargy. I honestly uh, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and fatigue, moodiness, and irritability. But also impaired brain activity, including learning, concentration, and memory problems, which can be both short and long term. Other side effects include premature skin aging and also a weaker immune system, which is really important right now with literally everyone and their mother being sick. It's really important to be taking care of your immune system and you can do that by getting your sleep in. Long-term sleep deprivation can also lead to even more serious side effects, including increased risk of stroke, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, and Alzheimer's disease. So sleep is very, very, very important. Yeah, and all of these side effects are relative and not everyone may experience them but it's just important to be aware of. Yep. Oh, Maris, let's talk about REM and all that cool stuff. REM, REM, I'm not <laughs> sure. But REM, as in rapid eye movement, is some very, very cool stuff. When you sleep, you cycle through REM and non-REM sleep. And during REM sleep, your eyes move quickly in different directions. First comes non-REM sleep, though. Um, it's really easy to wake up during this time, but it usually lasts five to 10 minutes. Yeah, then you go into a light sleep where your heart rate kind of slows down and your body temperature drops to prepare you for a deep sleep. Then stage three is the deep sleep stage of NREM. NREM. NREM? Not sure. I, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's harder uh, during this time to wake up, and if you're awoken, you'll feel really disoriented. During this stage, your body repairs and regrows tissues builds bone and muscle, and strengthens your immune system. That's actually really cool. Uh, the human body is incredible. Then REM sleep happens 90 or so minutes after falling asleep. With each REM stage getting longer and longer, the final one may last up to an hour. Your heart rate and breathing quickens, your brain becomes more active, which allows for more intense dreams. You know what's interesting is the effect on age during REM sleep. So as you get older, you tend to sleep less deeply, even though you still need as much sleep as when you were younger. Yeah, according to Sabrina Felsen, MD, babies can spend up to 50% of their sleep in the REM stage compared to only about like 20% in adults. Whoa. So that kind of sums up all the sexy science behind REM. And now we're going to jump in and talk about some sleep disorders, as those are very closely linked to mental health. Yeah, sleep disorders can be secondary to both mental or physical illness. So insomnia, for example, is one of the most common sleeping disorders. Um, and it's rarely an isolated mental illness, but rather a symptom of another illness. And it can also be related to a physical condition like sleep apnea. According to our friends at the National Sleep Foundation, I don't know why I said, I, I, I don't know why I said that. I literally have no friends at the National Sleep Foundation. But anyway, the National Sleep Foundation <laughs> defines insomnia as the difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep. And an overwhelming amount of the population have it at 10 to 15%. It has more increased rate among white people, females, and older adults. But everyone can experience insomnia. Statistics in general give us an unrepresented number because it is one of the most common disorders to be under-recognized and under-diagnosed. I personally um, can never sleep well a couple weeks before traveling anywhere new, which I'm sure 
some of you might be able to relate to, um, this would be categorized as short-term or acute insomnia, which tends to be very brief and resolved without treatment. Yeah, the key note about short-term insomnia is that it is triggered by temporary life situations. So, theoretically, when that time or situation passes, the insomniac behavior will pass. However, even sleep deprivation for short-term can be hazardous, so I definitely still recommend taking action. And we will talk about ways to sleep better towards the end of this episode. On the other hand, long-term or chronic insomnia tends to be a bigger issue. And technically, to be diagnosed has to occur at least three nights a week for at least three months. Again, technically. But it has a high comorbidity with other clinical mental disorders, meaning it is often diagnosed in people with previously diagnosed mental illness. Yeah, according to NAMI, over 50% of chronic insomnia cases are related to depression, anxiety, or other illnesses like OCD and PTSD. For example, people with insomnia have a tenfold risk of developing depression, and people with depression may suffer from symptoms of insomnia. The relationship between insomnia and depression is very complicated. We could definitely do a whole podcast about it. Yeah, absolutely. Similarly, uh, anxiety and insomnia are really closely linked. Anxiety can cause sleeping problems, and sleeping problems can cause anxiety. It's kind of like the chicken and egg, which came first scenario. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I tried. (laughs) My sister, who has struggled with... What? No, don't worry. She gave me consent to talk about this. Okay, okay. I thought you were really going to put her on blast like that. No, no, no. I swear. She was a great resource for this. Anyways, she struggled with anxiety for a long time, and recently her insomnia got really bad to the point where she had to start sipping classes, which then made her depression and anxiety worse. So we can really see the close ties here between insomnia and mental illness. And to quote my lovely sister... It was a vicious cycle, but she pushed herself to make it through. And if anyone is wondering, is doing a lot better now. We love her. Yay! And the first step in treatment for chronic insomnia is often determining and diagnosing the underlying mental condition by seeing a doctor. Um, So identifying the mental condition is a major step in reducing or eliminating insomnia. Another big part of the treatment process is creating positive sleeping habits. Working with a doctor, you can create action items to better your sleep environment. A possible route is the pharmacology route, but just to clarify, we are not doctors. I don't even know the last time I took a science class or anything like that. We have no right to give medical advice. So we're just simply telling you what we researched. Um, Yeah, and what has worked with us in the past. Yeah, absolutely. But it's definitely important that you go reach out to a doctor if this is something that you think you're struggling with, um, and they can determine what would be Mm -hmm. most helpful for you. But some people and their doctors choose not to use medicine, which is fine for them. And there's a lot of other ways you can combat this. For example, you can practice relaxation techniques like deep breathing and mindfulness right before bed to help you sleep. There's like a bunch of apps that help you with this. Um, You can just look them up in the app store or on your phone. And if you don't have access to this, you could always watch a guided video on YouTube, which there are many of. Absolutely. Or even just sit with yourself and do your own mindfulness practice. Um, And also herbal remedies have been shown to be helpful, like melatonin, Um, a lot of my friends use that, or valerian root. Yeah, melatonin is my personal favorite. And another thing, everyone, 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 everyone can benefit from CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, kind of a mouthful, or any other kind of therapy. So if you're struggling with insomnia therapy, could help you kind of like control or eliminate 
negative thoughts or worries that are what's keeping you awake at night. Thanks, Nami. <laughs> and to repeat again, we're not doctors. We're just sharing with you what we researched, not at all offering medical advice. So um, if insomnia is on one side of the spectrum of sleeping issues, what is on the other side? Hypersomnia. It is very easy to remember if you look at the roots of the word somnia oh. for sleep. Okay, just let me finish. In for not and hyper, which you've probably heard before, for over. Oh my gosh. Well, Maris took AP Latin in high school and I know. you couldn't tell. I feel like it was like the one thing I got for it was my root word. So let me have this, Shamayo. Okay, I love Latin. <laughs> so if someone has insomnia, they're not sleeping or undersleeping. And if someone has hypersomnia, they're oversleeping. Yep, hypersomnia is a chronic neurological disorder identified by the need to sleep that is not eased by a full night's slumber. So people with hypersomnia sleep normal or long amounts of time each night, but still feel excessively sleepy during the day. They may take long naps, but wake up feeling no better or no worse than when they fell asleep. It's harder to wake up in the morning, and often someone with hypersomnia has trouble concentrating during the day, even after sleeping well beyond the suggested hours of sleep. But it's important to know, hypersomnia is not like an occasional thing. Sometimes, depending on how you're feeling physically, if you're sick or something, you really do need those extra hours of sleep. That doesn't necessarily mean you're displaying hyperinsomniac behavior. Definitely a mouthful for sure. But similar to insomnia, hypersomnia is often comorbid with mood disorders. Those with depressive behaviors and moods are at a greater risk for hypersomnia. Also, oversleeping is a common signal of depression. In fact, over 40% of adults under 30 years old with depression experience hypersomnia. This is really, really important to know. When one of my close friends was displaying depressive behavior, the first red flag was that she was constantly sleeping or constantly wanting to be sleeping. Uh, but with that being said, not everyone who oversleeps has depression. There is something referred to as idiopathic hypersomnia, which is chronic hypersomnia in which there's no clear explanation for why someone is sleeping so excessively. Yeah, researching this, I really wasn't surprised to learn that. In the most depressed times of my life, I usually cope by sleeping as much as possible, and I would always use the excuse of, oh, I'm too tired, instead of like going out with friends or whatever, and I would just go home and sleep, when in fact, this was just my depression that wanted me to be sleeping 24-7. Yeah, absolutely. Even though sleep is important and people are often not getting enough of it, there is sometimes too much of a good thing. That's what my mom always says. <laughs> According to the sleep doctor, Michael J. Bruce, there is a relationship between depression and hypersomnia, but it's not quite clear which is the cause and which is the effect, just like with insomnia. Either way, they can be or they are related. So if any of it sounds like you may be experiencing this or a friend of yours might be, I definitely recommend reaching out to a doctor. There are treatment plans available. But before we close off, we do want to share some sleeping tips because even if you do not necessarily have a sleeping disorder, we can all work to improve our sleeping habits. So if I'm stressed and I have trouble sleeping at night, my favorite, favorite trick in the whole world is to take a hot shower right before bed. And if I have a bit more time, I'll even take a hot bath with like a bath bomb and some bubbles to really treat myself. And then my muscles feel super relaxed and I feel way calmer. My mind is clear and I'm ready to sleep. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Mary. So you have to try this uh, new tea tree bath oil that I just got. It's life changing. I love tea tree oil. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, 
Thank goodness for baths, am I right? Am I right? <laughs> True. And also, I like to limit my caffeine intake in the afternoon. If you have trouble sleeping, you should not be downing a triple shot cappuccino at 5 p.m. Okay, Maris, that is literally you right now. I'm sorry, but you literally have a coffee cup in your hand and it's 7 o'clock in the evening. Okay, but I'm not a perfect human. I know I need to do better about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely super difficult as college students where sometimes caffeine's the only thing to get you through the day. Um, but I think it's definitely a goal to have to kind of limit your caffeine intake and stop drinking it after 3 o'clock maybe. Yeah, I'd know. say just after like lunchtime yeah. low, drink a cup of coffee and then when you're getting tired later, maybe have some tea, something oh, yeah. with a little less caffeine if you really need it, but try to limit yourself for sure. Wean yourself off. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Word. But. So what are some other tips? I personally don't let myself nap because I know I will not sleep as well during the night and I won't feel as refreshed the next day. Instead of napping, I just try to go to sleep earlier that day than usual um, and I try to set a consistent sleep time during the night. Whereas I personally really benefit from a nap, but it kind of depends on how long that nap will be. There's actually a lot of controversy in the medical field. By the medical field, I mean Google, um, on whether or not naps are good or bad. Um, but it seems as though the consensus is that power naps are good. So for 10 to 20 minutes of sleeping, you can boost your productivity, improve your fatigue, and boost your mood. So if you're going to nap, do it in the early afternoon before 3 p.m. so it doesn't affect your nighttime slumber. Also, this is something interesting I just learned doing research on sleeping better you should reduce your blue light exposure in the evenings to help you feel better. A lot of exposure to this kind of light at night can throw off your circadian rhythm or your sleeping rhythm. And not surprisingly, electronic devices like smartphones and laptops emit a lot of this light. So please, please, please don't stay on your phone for all hours of night in your bed. Leave it on your bedside table and please get some sleep. Absolutely. And if you really, like, can't stay off your phone, like, I wish I could tell you I don't use my phone at night, but I do. Um, I think there's, like, something now on, like, the iPhone where you put that, like, nighttime mode and it, like, doesn't emit as much blue light or at all. I don't know. These aren't facts. You should look this up before you do that. Yeah, I um, actually found something. So there is the nighttime mode, but you can also download apps on the App Store that block the blue light like emission coming from your phone oh. and another interesting thing which I found out because I'm a part computer science major and I spend a lot of time on the computer <laughs> you can buy glasses that block this blue light oh, emission yeah. um, so I'm definitely going to do that I think it's super fascinating but yeah absolutely all good ideas but at the end of the day getting off your phone before bed is always a good idea and my personal favorite tip would be to make your bedtime routine a very special part of your day. I find this to be helpful in general with mental health. Um, so when you're nearing 20 to 30 minutes before bed, put away your phone, plug it in, put it on Do Not Disturb. And then I like to change in my pajamas, wash my face, brush my teeth, all that jazz, listen to chill music in my earbuds, do a little self-care, turn off like the big lights and just have like the twinkly lights or something. And I hate to be that person. I put a little lavender oil on my wrist. I am definitely that person. I love my essential oils. But then by the end of it all, my body just feels more relaxed and ready to sleep. 
Um, and it's, it's like the time of the day that I get to keep to myself to rejuvenate and then sleep well and be ready for the next day. It's really crazy how much of a difference this makes versus my usual just jumping into bed, laying on my phone before falling asleep. Yeah, definitely find your bedroom routine, stick with it, and in time you'll be amazed with the difference it makes. But you just have to make a conscious effort to get enough shut-eye because when you wake up, you'll have a whole day ahead of you that you can be your best for. It's like that with most things. You just got to put the effort in. Absolutely. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. We had a lot of info to share with you. And if you're having trouble sleeping, please do reach out to your practitioner. It's more common than you think. Yeah. Before we go, though, we want to plug Active Minds at Northeastern University. Shamila and I are a part of the club which works to decrease the stigma behind mental illness on college campuses. Our club meets Monday at 6 p.m. in 411 L Hall. Check them out on Facebook for more information. And Mind Over Matter will continue to have bi-monthly podcasts, so tune back in for our next episode and please share it with your friends. Thank you so much, and as always, take care of yourselves. Mental health matters. Let's talk about it. This episode of Mind Over Matter was hosted by Maris McGinnis and Shmael Dossery. Our producers are Ben Harold, WRBB's podcast director, and Parker Brown, WRBB's general manager. Special thanks to WRBB leadership staff, Northeastern University, and Northeastern Student Activity Fee for funding this podcast. Our theme music is Nature's Voice by Ashova. Head to wrbbradio.org where you can find the latest episodes of all of our podcasts, listen to our internet live stream, and read up on the latest music reviews. And make sure to follow us on all social media at WRBB Radio. Thanks for tuning in.